Hi, this is Kale Clark. Welcome back to the Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. You know, it's often been said that first impressions are so powerful, you got to get those right. But it's also true that the final impression matters as well. Some people even say that the last impression is the lasting impression. Well, Paul's letter to the Romans has made a lasting impression on the world. Uh, what a powerful document that has changed countless millions of lives. And he wants to end it off the right way. So let's look at the conclusion to St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 15. And we're going to pick it up at verse 14. Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brethren, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me, to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and as far round as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, thus making it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on another man's foundation, but, as it is written, they shall see who have never been told of him, and they shall understand who have never heard of him. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be sped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a little. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem with aid for the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed, they are in debt to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been raised, I will go on by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Okay, so that is the beginning of the end of St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Although there's more to come in the last chapter, chapter 16, but that's the end of chapter 15. Okay, so what's going on here essentially? Paul is ending off the letter the way he typically ends all of his letters in the New Testament. 
But this one is much, much longer, uh, not only because Romans is a pretty complex and long document in and of itself, but don't forget, he is writing to a church that he has never personally been to. He's never met any of these people in real life, although he hopes to, as he said uh, here, as he's talking about his travel plans. So those, are, those are really the, the three things he's going to talk about in this little section here. He's going to talk about his itinerary. He's going to talk about the fact that he he needs their prayer. He's asking for prayer. And he's also praying for them, for the Roman church, for peace. So those are the three things that we're concerned about right now. So the first thing that he says, he's got, he's got two reasons here for writing. Let, let's take a look at verse 15. Oh, first of all, he has a really nice compliment for them in verse 14. He says, I'm satisfied about you. That's a nice thing. <laughs> For, for the Apostle Paul to say, I'm really happy with how you're doing. I'm really happy with how you're doing in the faith. That would be a great, great commendation. He says that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. So not only do they know the faith, they're able to teach the faith, to instruct others, to communicate it to one another. And There's a famous professor named Richard Feynman who said that if you can't explain something to a five-year-old, you really don't understand it yourself. And that, that goes for even complicated subjects as well. One of the best ways to learn anything is to try to teach it to another person or to a group of people. We retain far more information about what we have to teach ourselves rather than when we are simply students. Although sometimes we have to do that. We are learners, and that's what it means to be a disciple, to be a learner of Rabbi Jesus. But we also have to be apostles. We also have to communicate the faith, too, in word and in deed. This is what it means to evangelize. This is what it means to do apostolate. But then he mentions uh, Paul in the next uh, verse here, in verse 15, about some of the reasons why he, he's writing. So he says, On some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. So he, he, we all need refreshing, don't we? in life. One of my favorite experiences that I've ever had was for many years teaching an RCIA program in my local parish. And not only did we have candidates who were coming into the church who had been baptized in other Christian traditions, validly looking for full communion in the Catholic Church, but we also had catechumens who were unbaptized. And then we had sponsors who were already Catholic. Some had been Catholic for many, many years and were practicing their faith, really living their faith well. But they kept coming back to the class again and again and again because they knew that they needed a refresher in the faith. Even though they've been Catholic for decades, in many cases, they knew that they needed to go back to a 101 type course just to, just to get the foundations right. And sometimes we need to do that. Repetition is the mother of learning. And St. Paul wants to remind you, even though they're doing really well, he wants to remind them boldly at times, he says, you know, I, I sometimes have to tell you things in a, in a very fatherly way that, that by way of correction that you need to get right. So the second, and then the, he's got another reason for writing boldly. And, and he says, it's because of the grace that God gave to me, the grace that God gave to me, because God gave him a very, very special gift, a very special ministry to preach to the Gentiles. And of course, he preached to his fellow Jews as well. But he is known primarily as the apostle to the Gentiles. And this is part of what he's going to be talking about later with this offering that he hopes to bring from Gentiles, Gentile believers in Jesus, 
to the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, if you will. So, of course, in Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, if you will, uh, the outpost of the church that is at Rome, uh, don't forget, they are mostly Gentile at this stage too. So this is a, a key point of pride for him, that this is part of the mission that God gave to him. And, and then he says something really amazing in verse 16. And this is, a, this is a great insight for us as Catholics. He says in verse 16 that he was given God's grace to, to do what? To be what? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So this is a great question. Uh, very often, non-Catholic Christians want to say, there is no New Testament priesthood. There is no Catholic priesthood. You guys are making this up. All of the people of God are priests. So don't you know that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, as St. Peter says in one of his letters? Well, that was true of Israel as well. All the Israelites were priests, but yet some of them were ministerial priests. All the nation of Israel were seen as a holy nation of priests. But there was the tribe of Levi that offered sacrifice in the temple. And Paul views himself somewhat similarly within the church. Now, he's not from the tribe of Levi. Don't forget, he's, a, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. But this is what he calls himself, a liturgos, a liturgos. And this has to do with liturgy. This has to do with priestly service, as he says. And, and this is, a, if you look through the, through the Old and New Testament, th this term refers to all kinds of different ministry, but especially in the Old Testament, it talks about those who serve in the temple as priests. Look at Numbers chapter 4, verse 37 and verse 41, 1 Samuel 2, 11. Even in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2, chapter 10, verse 11. So we see this, this, um, this verb popping up again and again and again. It specifically refers to a priest in the Greek version of Nehemiah, chapter 10, verse 39, Isaiah 61, 6, and in a lot of other Jewish uh, writings, some of which didn't make it into the Bible, but it's a, it's a very known word. So he sees himself as a priest, that's for sure. And as he says elsewhere, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he sees himself as a spiritual father as well. And we call our priest father for that very reason. So what is, it, what is it exactly that he's offering? Well, he is offering these Gentile believers to God. He's sort of saying, hey, this is incredible. These converts that have been made because of the gospel, we need to offer them as a holy sacrifice. And for that, they need to become holy. They've got to be sanctified by the Spirit. And Paul recognizes that he has a lot of humility, even though he knows that God's given him this gift. He knows the gift comes from God. What does he say in verse 17? In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. And then verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and as far around as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, 
Cale Clark. So St. Paul is very proud of, of what God has done through him, but he realizes it does come from God. And he's kind of boasting, but he's boasting in the Lord. As scripture says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He wasn't trying to take individual credit for anything. Uh, he knows it's because of Jesus Christ. He knows all the bad dealings he was involved with in his prior life, trying to persecute the church. And it's only by God's grace that he is on the winning team. So again, what he wants here is the obedience from the Gentiles. That's part of his ministry by word and deed. That means it's not just his preaching. It's not just his teaching, but also, let's face it, Paul was was very well known for having God work miracles through him. That's why he talks about the power of signs and wonders in verse 19, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we kind of have to do the same thing. Uh, We may not be able to work uh, stupendous miracles, although the greatest miracle, of course, is a changed life, is a changed soul. But but if we, we, we do need to use our words and our deeds. Um, I think about the famous passage in Matthew's gospel, the sheep and the goats, the, the great judgment. It is the deeds of believers, the deeds of the good sheep that, that really make the difference because in serving others, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes that very clear. When we clothe the naked, when we feed the hungry, when we care for the sick, we're really caring for Christ. So it's deeds that really matter. And these are deeds that we call corporal works of mercy, but they're also spiritual works of mercy too. And that's, of course, instructing the ignorant. That's a big one. That's a big one because some people, a lot of people, let's face it, just simply don't know about the gospel and they need to know. They need to know what God has done for them in the life that he's called them to. So he's talked about the fact that he fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. He, he, he's, he's, he's really finished his, his ministry off, um, at least at this point. Now he needs a new target. He needs a new mission field. So he talks about from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And where's Illyricum? Well, that's in what we call Albania, the part of the world that's known as Albania today, and also Parts of old Yugoslavia was there too. So Paul was Paul covered quite a bit of ground here. And so this is quite a journey from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And it's been a long one. And he's completed this particular phase. But he's looking for more. He's never satisfied. And that's one of the great things about St. Paul. His missionary zeal never flagged. But, but in, in preaching to the Gentiles... As one scholar says, he really sees himself as fulfilling a prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15. And this is really couched in this whole section about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, which obviously points forward as a prophecy to Christ. But here's what it says in Isaiah 52, verse 15. He shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard they shall contemplate. It goes on to say in chapter 53, verse 1 of Isaiah, Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So this is really um, this idea of kings you know, being able to contemplate that which they had never heard before. And we know that Paul will bring his message before Gentile rulers. He talks about this a lot. 
Um, and we, we see examples of this in the Acts of the Apostles, how he is brought before governors, kings, and, and really gives a great testimony to Jesus Christ. So this is where he's going next. His, his travel plans are going to take him to Jerusalem. And why is he going there? He's bringing an offering from all of these Gentile churches where he has been. And he talks about this in his second letter to the Corinthians. He talks about this collection that he's taking up. And it's very, very important to Paul because he wants unity in the church. He wants unity between Jews and Gentiles. And, and he knows that the Gentiles have benefited from everything that he has taught them about the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, who has opened up the one true faith for all peoples of the world, making it Catholic, making it universal. And so these Gentiles, these non-Jews, have, have benefited spiritually, and they have shown their appreciation by helping out with the material needs of the suffering church in Jerusalem. So it, it, in a way, it's kind of repaying a spiritual debt by sharing, as one scholar puts it, material blessings. And that's true. So he's going to go to Rome after he's done this, after he goes and drops off this collection. He has to go there. I mean, people might say, why doesn't he just send it with a trusted friend? Well, he needs to go there himself because he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's got to make sure that he's got it sealed with the stamp of approval. And for him to be there personally, it'd be such an amazing gesture for the church in Jerusalem to, to get this. But then He's hoping to take a bit of a retreat, if you will. In verse 29, as one scholar says, he kind of breathes a sigh of relief, a sigh of relief. He says, he's going, to go to, he's going to go to Rome and then to Spain. He says, I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And so he's going to be edified by them. He's going to get to hang out with the believers in Rome and kind of have a, a bit of a, a bit of downtime, which which he needs, which he needs, and they're going to meet him in person. So he's really looking forward to that spiritual oasis he hopes to have with them, having a nice visit. Maybe he'll walk around Rome, get some gelato, some pizza, some great pasta. I don't know in the city, but no, I'm only kidding. But but they they are going to have a, a wonderful time together before he moves on, hopefully, to Spain. So he asks for prayer. In verses 30 through 33, he, he requests prayer. And this is what he says. I appeal to you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. And he is going to need those prayers. He's going to need that help because he will be attacked, as we read about in the Acts of the Apostles, when he goes back to Judea, back to Jerusalem. He's going to be misunderstood, and his very life will be in danger. So we all need to pray for our leaders. We need people to pray for us as well. It's one of the best things that we can do. Take part in the power of prayer. Lift one another up. Paul needed it, and that certainly means that you and I need it too. So we're going to stop. We're going to leave it right here. We're going to finish off with the conclusion of Romans in our next episode. But right now, it's time for the Faith Explained Q&A Mailbag. Let's open it up. Okay, today's question comes to me from Stephanie, and she writes by email. I want to remind you that you can email me your question too. 
And the address is faith, F-A-I-T-H, at relevantradio.com, faith at relevantradio.com. And you can also try to get your question to me by messaging me on the X app. You can follow me there at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So Stephanie writes, hello, my question is, why do I have to go to confession with a priest to ask God for forgiveness when I can ask God directly? Stephanie in New Mexico. And uh, in her email, uh, she doesn't say whether she's listening on the relevant radio app or one of our fine stations that she can access in that region. But Stephanie, I'm really happy to answer that question for you. It's, it's something that comes up again and again and again. The first thing I would say to that is that Jesus intended it to be that way. This was God's idea. This is the normative way for confession to happen. Now, can you ask God outside of the confessional? Of course we should. But especially if we're guilty of a, a mortal sin, a deadly sin, we got to get to the confessional as soon as we possibly can. Let's take a look at John chapter 20. This is one of the prime places in the New Testament we can find Jesus' instructions on this. Uh, he says this, and this is, by the way, starting with verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So just a, a note on this, by the way, that in for the apostles who are, who are obviously in view here, for them to decide whether or not to forgive or retain, that is not to forgive sins, how would they know unless people told them their sins out loud in the confessional, if you will? Not that they were confessionals at that time, but we're talking about a regular confession here for sure. According to paragraph 1461 and 1462 of the Catechism, priests and obviously bishops as well, because every bishop is also a priest, they have this role. And the apostles were the forerunners of, of course, the future bishops and priests of the church. So that's where you can find it in the Bible in John chapter 20. And this is exactly the way it went in the Old Testament as well. God instructed his people to go through priests for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the way it was done back then, of course, and the way God told Moses to do it was that animal sacrifices had to be made. And a sinner would put their hands on the head of the animal that would be sacrificed. And it was really kind of a, a visual way of showing that, that the sins were sort of transferred to the animal. Not that that's actually possible, but the animal pays the price, if you will. The animal dies in the place of the sinner because really the penalty for sin is death. The wages of sin is death, as St. Paul writes to the Romans. So somebody's got to die. Now, in the New Covenant, we don't slaughter animals uh, on our behalf, but we do take part. We do draw back from the one perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Lamb of God. And so he is that mediator. And he's the only priest in history who is not only priest, but victim. Because in the Old Covenant time, of course, the priest would offer the animal sacrifice as a substitution 
But on the cross, Jesus offered himself on this altar, the rough wood of the cross. And in the same way, he needs to uh, dispense his grace to us of forgiveness, which he won for us through his passion, death, and resurrection through the sacrament of confession. It's really, really important that we take part in this frequently, even if we don't have a, a laundry list of mortal sins that we need to confess. It's good even when we have venial sins. As St. Augustine said, if your sins don't give you pause because of their gravity, they should give you pause because of their sheer number. In other words, we can die from a thousand bites from a from gnats if we're thrown into a pit of bugs just as surely as we can be killed by one bite from a lion in the lion's den. And so we have to understand, too, that there is a communal angle to this. Um, Stephanie's question was, why can't I just confess privately to God? Our sins also hurt the body of Christ. Our sins hurt other people. Uh, it's like a ripple thrown into a pond. There, there's an effect on others. And so we're not what we should be when we sin. And, and very often those sins involve other people. And uh, their lives are altered. Their relationship with God is often altered by our sin if they're partner, partners in sin with us too. So the priest is kind of a stand-in, in persona ecclesia, in the person of the church. He's not just... Uh, in the place of Christ. And when the priest says, I absolve you, it's not Father Rocky who's, who's absolving you. Of course, it's Jesus Christ just borrowing the vocal cords of Father Rocky or any priest. But the priest also is a stand-in for the community itself, for the church. And, and it's symbolically, he's offering forgiveness on, on behalf of the church, the body of Christ, mystically speaking, that has been hurt by our sins too. The other great thing, too, about confession is that not only do we get our sins forgiven, but we get more grace from God, more help from God, more power from God in our battle against sin in the future. And, and we're going to need it, not to mention any spiritual direction that the priest can give you as well for your particular battle. So there's so many reasons, uh, biblical, ecclesial, spiritual, for you to go to confession, for me to go to confession on a regular basis. And that helps us to heal in so, so many ways. It's a great gift that God has given us. So many people I know who are non-Catholic Christians, they wonder, did God really hear my prayer when I asked for forgiveness? Well, if you go to confession, you can walk away knowing for sure that not only did he hear your prayer, but you heard him say back to you, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for your question, Stephanie. And if you are listening today and you've got a question for me, I'll try to answer it on The Faith Explained. You can email me your question at this email address, faithatrelevantradio.com, and find me on the X app at Kale Clark. We'll catch you later today at 5 p.m. Central for The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and on the next episode of The Faith Explained. Hey, and if you've got some ideas about show topics you'd like me to cover on future episodes, of The Faith Explained, I'd be very, very happy to hear from you as well. Once again, that email address is faith at relevantradio.com. Until the next time, God bless you. Peace, and stay tuned. Father Simon says right here on Relevant Radio.